This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of the Parenting ADHD podcast. I am super excited today to talk to Jeff Copper, who is an attention coach and an expert on attention issues. He and I have talked before on his podcast, and we always have fascinating conversations. So I'm really looking forward to that today. So Jeff is an attention coach and expert on attention issues, more commonly referred to as attention deficit disorder, or ADD or ADHD. As the founder of Dig Coaching Practice and the host and founder of Attention Talk Radio and Attention Talk Video, Jeff coaches individuals and entrepreneurs with ADHD symptoms who are seeking to improve their personal and business results. As an attention coach, Jeff helps others to overcome information overload, chronic disorganization, ADHD or ADD symptoms, time management problems, attention deficit disorder, impulsivity, and other conditions that may hinder one's advancement. Thanks for joining me, Jeff. I'm excited to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm honored uh, that I was invited and I'm excited about, uh, about our conversation today. Yeah, so we're going to talk about ADHD, ADHD teens and the reality of motivation when you have ADHD. And I know this is something that you work on a lot with your own clients and you have some great insights on this. So I'm super excited to talk about it. Um, why don't you start out by kind of defining what mo- what we are going to call motivation in this conversation and then um, describe, I think, for our audience where motivation um, really comes from yep. for kids with ADHD? Absolutely. Um, before we get into motivation, the first thing I want to acknowledge in this is when you're talking about teens – and you're talking about raising teens, mm-hmm. and you're talking about you know uh, um, helping them to become adults. It, this is hard stuff. Um, I don't want to minimize it. If there was an easy way of doing this, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right, exactly. Um, even without the issues. And so a lot of people are maybe listening in thinking, hey, maybe there's a silver bullet or whatever. There's not. What I'm hoping to do today is kind of help face the realities of it to kind of equip them. Yeah. And Penny, you know, when it comes to motivation, it's fascinating to me because I, I like to pay attention to motivation. Almost everything I, as an attention coach, I like to focus in on. And when I hear parents talk about motivation and really society in general, when I hear the context of which they speak about motivation, what I think they really mean is they want somebody to do what they want them to do. Right. Not expectation. Yeah. I, I like that. It's they have an expectation and it's not being met. And what I learned over the years, Dr. Roberto Olivardi is a psychologist up in uh, Massachusetts and interviewing him. Mm-hmm. There's a few things that I, I love that he said. He said, number one, everybody's motivated because if you weren't, you'd be dead. True. And at, at first you you think about that, but you know, you wouldn't take your hand off a hot stove, you get hit by a car. I mean, there's all kinds of things you do. So if you take that at face value and say, listen, everybody is motivated. And then he said something else profound to me one time. He said, everything you've ever done in your life, you did it because you were motivated to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Therefore, everything that you haven't done, you didn't do it when you could have done it because you weren't motivated to do it. So when I listen to that, I've always looked forward to like motivation is actually what you do. It's, right. it's right. not what you think you're supposed to do. It's actually kind of what you do. And if we begin to, to begin to think of that, that's what motivation – and kids with ADHD um, – Oversimplified, I like to describe ADHD as a dopamine addiction. Uh, I won't go into a lot of, of issues with that right now, but imagine the brain is like Pavlov's dogs. If the kid is hitting a lever and he's getting dopamine, he's going to keep hitting that lever. Right. If he hits the lever and he doesn't get the dopamine, he's going to go find another lever to push. Mm-hmm. And so metaphorically, you might want him to press a lever. <laughs> right. But if he's not getting his fix, he's going to go find another lever to push. And if you can sit down and say, okay, this is the reality of it, I think you're in a better position as a parent to begin to manage it as opposed to just say, why aren't they motivated? Why aren't they doing this? Well, they're not doing it because they don't want to do it. They don't, it it's no fun. And exactly. so with that, with that basic fundamental understanding, as a parent, I think you can begin to say, okay, wait a second. So this is not something I want to do. How do I change the environment? How do I make this different? in a way that they might be more motivated to do it. So I want to stop for a second, kind of get your thoughts on on this fundamental premise. Yeah, and I think, you know, Dr. Dodson talks about how the nervous system of the ADHD brain works and that motivation when you have ADHD comes from urgency or interest. And I think interest is what's feeding, well, both are feeding that dopamine. Um, But a, a normal neurotypical brain is also motivated by importance, where the ADHD brain isn't necessarily motivated by importance. And I think that's what a lot of parents get hung up on is that we feel like, okay, well, school is important. So why isn't my child motivated to do it? And their brain, their their nervous system just doesn't work that way. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that a lack of motivation is not a um, personality flaw. It's not a character flaw. And it's what you're saying that we have to figure out what does motivate our kids and work from that frame of reference. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to just jump ahead of myself here a little bit just to to frame out what this would look like. And we kind of come back. One of the things that I have found in coaching adults with ADHD is when it comes to anything that's repetitive and boring, Mm -hmm. like ironing, washing the car, vacuuming, cleaning out the garage, uh, folding clothes, washing dishes. Mm -hmm. These are repetitive and boring routine tasks. And those with ADHD, for the most part, really struggle with anything that's repetitive and boring because they're not getting their fix. They're not getting their dopamine from it. Right. Now, homework would be uh, the other thing too, not just repetitive and boring, but anything that requires a higher level of executive functioning uh, that's very effortful. Mm-hmm. Dr. Barkley talks about the ADD brain. Think of it as a two-level system. You have the automatic brain and the executive functioning brain, and the executive functioning brain is very effortful because it's got to step in and it's got to override the automatic brain. It's got to take of, charge. Kind of, yeah, kind of beat it down. And it's, that's really, really effortful. So. If it comes to something like homework, homework is a very effortful exercise, and sometimes it's really not that exciting. And so it's interesting with adults. It's, it's very common. They, they'll never do a, a boring task by themselves, and sometimes they won't really do their taxes, which requires a lot of executive functioning, by themselves. However, mm-hmm. if you do it with somebody, you've now changed the environment. 
you've got somebody else that's there that does one thing and that provides um, a level of interest. You're doing it with somebody in company, which is a little bit more fun, if you will. But the other right. thing that that person does is those with ADHD, they struggle with working memory. And so when they're trying to problem solve and they do different things, they can get clues and they can talk out loud often to that person, which actually for many helps them think. There's, there's a lot of those with ADHD and not to talk is really not to think. And so mm-hmm. and that, that simple environmental change, you took something that was really, really boring that required a lot of executive functioning to one that's Having somebody there with more company and having somebody to talk to and bounce your thoughts off, which is a lot easier, which makes homework a lot easier. And all too often, Penny, I'll see parents say, okay, you need to go into the other room and do your homework. In other words, I want you to go in the worst possible environment, and I just want you to to grunt your way through it with willpower. Mm -hmm. Now, as opposed to I've got some bills to pay, come in the room, let's sit down and do this yourself. Now, what I just described doesn't work for everybody, but there are lots of parents that I've heard is like, you know, the kids like they won't do anything unless I'm next to them. I'm like, absolutely, because that's the easier way for them to sit and do it because environmentally there's something there. You know, Penny, a lot of, a lot of uh, professional organizers talk about body doubles where they go in and mm-hmm. help somebody with ADHD. They just sit there and the person with ADHD does it all. Right. But they just need a company in the room. And so, again, I don't want to dwell on it, but, but if you're sitting there and you're taking a look at that situation and say, how can I change that environment to make it easier for that student to be more motivated to do it? Those are the types of things and the mindset, I think, that will really help parents. Yeah, and I think it's, again, about throwing out the rule book, that traditional parenting rule book that we all kind of grow up with. We have yep. this expectation that we can, you know, an individual will focus best when they're alone, when everything's quiet. You know, some kids do better when they have music all the time, and it's not a distraction. For me, if I tried to sit down and read something or write something, and there was a TV or music or anything, I would start focusing on that and I would not be able to focus on what I needed to. But a lot of individuals with ADHD, yep. it actually improves their focus. Yep, yep. And we we sometimes get stuck as parents in that traditional space yep. of what we know and we don't always open ourselves up to yep. think outside of that box. So I so, think that's so, really important here. Yeah, can, can I interrupt you? Yeah. If, if the listeners want to have grins and giggles, go to YouTube and search for Attention Talk video, um, punk rock, uh, mm. like punk rock videos. And when you do, what's going to come up is an interview I do with Roberto Olivardi, which is funny because he actually wrote his Harvard dissertation, his doctoral thesis in two weeks um, wow. on a computer screen with Word up, Microsoft Word, and punk rock videos playing on the same screen. And he talks about so how the, the beat – and stuff yes. help him. In the same interview, he uh, he discovered in the eighties he was going to school one day and he forgot his Walkman. If you remember those days, mm-hmm. and he read on the subway and he got to got to the, the bus and he goes, "Wow, I, I cover a lot of material." So he actually timed it and he discovered he run he reads seven times faster riding a subway than he does at home. So when he had a lot of reading to do, he would just jump on the subway and ride it from one end to the other. Again, yeah. I just wanted to kind of highlight is environmental changes all of a sudden make it a lot easier. Yeah, and we talked about in a previous podcast with um, an occupational therapist about beat and how we all have our own rhythm and that rhythm often is very helpful for focus. Um, And my son has just started creating digital music on his iPad with heavy 
really strong beats. You know, he's he shared it with his special ed teacher who says, you know, he would go crazy if he had to listen to it. But for my son, it helps him focus. And when he's upset now, he will turn on his music with his beat because yep. he has recognized and made that connection. So, you know, that that piece keeps coming up again and again with other conversations Absolutely. that we have on the podcast. So I'm glad that you brought that up to you. That's really fascinating. Another area that I want to touch base on, and this is fascinating to me. I learned this uh, from Teresa uh, Maitland uh, mm-hmm. at the University of North Carolina. And if I remember this correctly, they did a research study and they took a look at everybody in college who – before they went to college in high school, they were they had a Section 504 or an IEP plan, mm-hmm. and this is every, this is not ADD. This is like dyslexia, learning disability, or whatever. And they tracked these people, and they looked at them in college. And what's interesting is only eight percent of that entire population actually took advantage of disability services in college. Yeah. And what was interesting to me. Um, as I, as I had learned from her is that particularly like late adolescents, 17, 18, 19, early twenties, it's funny because they don't want help. They don't want to need help. And so when you're, when you're seeing that it's the very thing that they need, but they don't want to, Ari Tuckman, oh, he has a great line says, you know, wanting help is a sign of maturity, which is one of those things that I throw (laughs) out the kids all the time. Like, you know, it's really a sign of maturity when you say that you want help. Um, but, but as much as they struggle, um, and I know a lot of times, Penny, I'll get a phone call. Somebody want me to help their 18 or 19 year old kid and coach them. And my first thing is, you know, do they really want coaching or do they really just want you off your bat? Because often they'll say they want to come to coaching, but what they really, I mean, they're not engaged. They really just want mom and dad to leave them alone and take the pressure exactly. off. And it's, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's a tough pill to take, but at the end of the day, you can't force them to want help. Exactly. You know, I tell people that all the time on the Attitude Forum where I moderate, um, especially couples and um, yep. things like that. They're, they're always, you know, I, I, I'm offering help. I'm doing everything I can to help and nothing gets better. And they're just angry with me. And, you, and they ask, well, what can I do to make them do these things? Well, you can't. People have to want <laughs> help. I mean, it's just like an addict. They have to want to change and yep. want help before Anything in the world you do is going to help. For and, sure. and, and, and that's so that, that's going to lead into another thing because, that, it, Penny, that is such you, – you can't make somebody want something. You can't – as I described – I was talking to a psychologist one time who was – I won't go into a lot of detail. But at the end of the day, you can give people structure. So like a person can have an alarm clock. They can set the alarm as a means to get up in the morning, but the person still has to turn the alarm off and get out of bed. Mm-hmm. That's an individual decision yeah. that we can't affect. So another like kind of uh, mindset that I think is, is really helpful when you start looking at ADHD and teens. And, and I think John Wilson at SOAR really, really put it best. is like, you know, you can take a, a horse to water. And as we said, you can't make it drink. But as a parent, what we want to do as best we can, and every, I know all of everybody listening to this is doing this, is that concept of salting the hay. Yeah. We make want them to make them thirsty. thirsty. Yep. And you still can't force them to drink because there's just – there's a donkey out there that's really stubborn. Mm-hmm. But the idea is you want to salt the hay. But the way John talks about it is everybody has their own currency 
by the way, salt at one point in time was currency along with shells and coins. So I'm going to kind of right. switch it around. It's Every kid has their own currency mm-hmm. or the way you salt the hay. And the trick as a parent is really try to understand what their currency is. Yeah. Um, John does a lot of work with some people. And I remember he was like this. He's a, he works with a lot of kids that are ADHD outdoors uh, and some things. And he tells this story about this kid who his currency was having a pocket knife. And he would use that as currency to say, you know, if you do this, then you get to have the pocket knife and vice versa. And if you yeah. can find out your kid's currency and you can use it, then you can begin to use that currency to get them to do what they're not motivated to do that you want them to do. You're giving them extrinsic it, motivation. Exactly. Now, yeah. understand as a parent, <laughs> what unfortunately our kids change, they grow, they grow into currency and they grow out of currency. Like mm-hmm. it might've been Pokemon cards a while ago and now it might be texting with their friends. But the bottom line is you need to be kind of tuned to that and you need to understand their currency and use that to solve the hay. Because sometimes what you want them to do is not any fun at all and they just don't want it to do. They're not going to do it. So you have to play with that a little bit um, and adjust the environment in order to see if you can get them to actually sit down and do that stuff. Right. And I think, you know, there's a really solid point here that we need to make as well is that parents need to make sure that they have appropriate expectations for exactly who their kid is and what their strengths and weaknesses are as well. Um, that, that really goes into play because we're talking about them be, being motivated to meet expectations. So the expectations have to be meetable. Yep. They have to be able to meet them. Otherwise, they're not even going to try. So I, I really like what you just said. And I want to stop for a second because I, I always like – whenever I can, I like to see if I can turn the tables on the parents a little bit. <laughs> so I learned from Dr. Barkley – that ADHD is really a self-regulation issue. And that's why I call it a dopamine addiction because mm-hmm. you're kind of addicted to dopamine. And just like an alcoholic is addicted to alcohol. Right. If they're paying attention to what they're interested in, their issue's not engaging their attention. It's actually unengaging. Like, like ADHD playing computer games. Their issue's not paying attention to it. It's actually stopping. Like right. an alcoholic coming home from a bar. And other times they have a, a difficulty engaging their attention. And so I lost my train of thought on that diatribe. So I was trying to – it's a self-regulation issue. And we were, oh, expectations. expectations. So what Dr. Barkley talks about is that if ADHD is a self-regulation issue, which I really believe it is, you mm-hmm. have to regulate your attention. Yeah. But you also have to regulate your emotions. Mm-hmm. And emotions actually used to be a part of the diagnostic criteria – uh, up until the 70s, in which case they got rid of it because they, it, was, it was too fluffy. They couldn't measure it. So you know, if they can't measure it, they just assume it's not there. But mm-hmm. as Dr. Barkley talks, it's very much a part of it. Now, yeah. the reason I'm saying this is in the context of self-regulation, emotional self-regulation is as much a part of ADHD's attention is. Absolutely. So coming back to the point here is, Penny, and you brought up so well expectations, parents – are very emotional about Mm -hmm. their kids and their passion and they have expectations. And sometimes you have to put those expectations in line. And where I'm going with this is those parents who are struggling hitting that expectation. Well, you now have the same problem. You're dealing specifically with the same kind of problem that your kid is. And that is you're having to, to downregulate your emotions to those expectations. Absolutely. And 
if you're a parent, you're going to resist this to a certain extent. But if you if you really just like observe it, yes. And I, Penny, I think you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're so amped up on this because you you have expectations because you want your kid to survive, and that emotion you've got to regulate, and it's not easy. And I and I hope that this rings a bell with a couple of you out there because if one or two of you that really kind of gets it, it's the ability to pause and downregulate your emotion and take a look at those expectations and make adjustments, which mm-hmm. is the same thing that we're asking our kids is pause, ponder what you're doing, and take a different path. It's exactly. fundamentally – it's not the same biological thing as ADHD, but the experience of self-regulation to me is the exact same. You've got to stop yourself and you've got to make some adjustments. So I'm going to give you an opportunity yeah. to, to add to that, whatever makes sense. No, I think that's a really good correlation that you made because as parents, you know, this parenting challenging kids with special needs is more stressful. It's more emotional. And that's part of helping ourselves with that process and existing in this life is to be able to self-regulate. You know, people ask, well, I don't know how to stay calm with my child when they're challenging me, when they're emotionally intense, when they're being oppositional. And it's really a matter of being very aware of yourself and kind of almost detaching, not taking it personally. Um, And we have to do, I think, the same thing when we have expectations of our kids. You know, my son is not a great student. Um, I could take that personally and say that somehow I'm failing him because he's not a great student. But I know that I work very hard to do everything I can and to get the school to do everything they can. And so I have learned to accept that he's not a great student, but that doesn't mean that he won't be great later, that he can't do great things later. And that's part of me tempering my expectations to be appropriate for my child's truth, what's really true for him, not what's true for me when I was a child, not what's true for, you know, my neurotypical niece, but what's true for him. And we have to do the same things for ourselves as parents. And, and that intensity, of course, we feed it off of each other, but we're only yep. making it worse for both of ourselves. You know, we're making it worse for us as parents. We're making it worse for our kids and we're escalating those situations. So, you know, I think it's really important to almost step, just like you said, you have to really just take a breath and think about it and, and, weigh those expectations and see if you're in the proper space to begin with. And that's really hard when we have that external piece like school who's telling us your kid needs to do this. He needs to do it in this amount of time. He needs to do it with this neatness and he needs to care about his work. I mean, that's the one that we can't get past at the moment. And I know a lot of parents of teens can't get past is, you know, our kids don't really care about succeeding at school. And I think, you know, I could talk for hours on why that might be, but I think a lot of it is learned helplessness. And by the time they're teens, they're programmed there if they haven't had the right experience up until that point. But um, that's another conversation entirely. So, so it's actually kind of funny. Penny, you mind if I tell my own personal story on this just to kind of give parents a little bit of hope? Yeah. Okay. So I, I have dyslexia, learning disability, and ADHD. And when I was growing up, I was I was athletic, 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 all over the place. And I found swimming early on, and uh, went through high school swimming twice a day. Um, ultimately, um, 
think when I, before I graduated from, I went, I went to Olympic trials when I was a senior in high school and ultimately um, went to school on a swimming scholarship, went to Olympic trials again, ended up making consolation finals at U.S. Nationals, NCAAs, and World Game Trials. Never made it to the Olympics, but I was actually in a heat one time where a guy broke the world record, so it's it kind of cool. But yeah. the point really is, is I was, I was, I was very athletic, and that was my currency, and that's what I did, and that's what I focused on, and I didn't care for school. And in high school, uh, I had had all the tutors, I had all the pressure, my parents cared, but finally, at one point in time, my mother, God love her, she's a saint. She finally <laughs> just said, "All right, I, my, I just want to get my kid through the education," and she would sit and help me. Uh, she didn't necessarily write my papers and do some stuff, but I think a lot of teachers would have frowned on how much help she did, mm-hmm. did give me. But and when I was in high school, she, we gave up on Spanish, and Spanish is a college prep. I took seven weeks of seven weeks of Spanish twice, and I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle chemistry, mm-hmm. so I didn't even have the required college prep classes to get to college. And both my parents went to college and it was kind of expected, but swimming was my ticket that got me there. And sure enough, I went, I took my SATs and you know, Penny, you get an 800 if you just put the name on the test. Right. And so I got like an 880, which is like, I mean, it's my, my older son, almost his math score almost beat mine. Um, (sighs) so you have an idea about it. Now, off I go to school, and along the way, I'm maturing in the process, and I end up doing things my way. Uh, as a side, I do do my podcast because I don't like to write. And back in high school, when I had a right. research paper, I would go interview somebody and take their quotes and use it and footnote in my paper. And I had a – God love Marlise. All the tab and popcorn I gave her over the years to help me get through my papers, but I graduated. <laughs> Right. And I actually went on later in life and got my MBA with a 3.85 average of a concentration in finance. So kind of along awesome. the way, it got there. But my, my point here is I, I, I really don't think I would have got to college had my mother, number one, not supported my interest in that swimming. Right. Number two, she gave up on the expectations that I had to take all those college prep classes because it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I took an alternate path. And I ended up getting to where I needed to be. But as a parent, I have to tell you, Penny, I think it takes an awful lot of faith to let go of those reins and say it's going to be okay. And yeah, a lot of hope. I think they've heard it. I think they've heard it from everybody, but there's lots of stories out there like that. That doesn't mean that you can't worry and stuff like that. But I'm sharing this particular one is because to a certain extent, when they adjusted the expectations and they quit grounding me. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way, it's kind of cool. When I was grounded, I could still swim. Um, it's the only thing I could do, which thank God, because that would have yeah. been the wrong thing to do, but yeah. there is some hope out there. And when it comes to motivation in that situation, my mother worked with what I was motivated with. She didn't work against it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I have kind of come to that place that your mother came to where, you know, we're going to we're going to get through, we're going to make it to the end of high school. And <laughs> then we're going to figure it out. Because, you know, of course, I grew up thinking, you have to make A's and B's in school. If you're smart, you should really make straight A's was was the expectation. But I never did because I only wanted to do good enough. I didn't want to do as much as straight A's required. So, and then, you know, you have to go to college if you want to succeed in life. And so, you know, that was just the expectation that I grew up thinking was the norm. Um, And I've really had to just throw all of that out the window for my own son and say, you know, 
at IEP meetings, they start out the meeting, what is your goal for your child? So they can put it in the form. And it has gone for me from a four-year university to whatever he is interested in and makes him happy and be able to live, you know, be self-sufficient as much as he can and be successful and happy and feel good about himself. And this last IEP meeting a few weeks ago, there was a bit of an argument with me about that. Oh, but don't you want to see him in a four-year college? Well, sure, that'd be great. But what I really want is for him to feel successful. And if he can't feel successful in that environment, then that's not for him. And I'm fine with that. I'm totally good with that. And it's a process for parents to get there, to undo all of the programming that we grew up with and recreate that specifically for the child that we have. But it's vitally important. And I, you know, the more stress we put on our kids, if I, I already put a lot of stress on my son just to do the work that he has to do or the majority of it. So if I put more stress on him that he had to get A's or A's and B's on everything, I don't think he would function anymore. It would be too much stress to do anything. And we have to find that line too. And all the motivation in the world, if we make their cognitive functioning shut down under stress and duress, you know, the motivation isn't going to kick in and really be helpful because they're just not functioning well. So it's finding that balance. But you had a very smart mother who knew what was super important and what wasn't and and honored that for you. And that's awesome. Yeah. So so everybody stop for a second. I think we're at about the 28, 29 minute mark of this podcast. And if you're listening to me right now, I would encourage you to back up the tape 90 seconds or two minutes and re-listen to what Penny just said (laughs) about 50 times. I'm serious. There's so much wisdom. The journey, parents just don't get there. The setting them up for success. There was nothing but gold in what you just said, Penny. And again, if you're listening to this, parents, go back and rewind the tape and listen to it over and over and over. I've, I've interviewed experts. I've done this for a long time. What she just articulated is an hour or two of study. (laughs) easily. And it took me years to get there. You know, I mean, it's a process. Parents don't, you know, we start out, we get a diagnosis, we have this kid who's struggling, we have schools calling us, we have kids who don't do anything we ask, and we're freaking out. And we're desperate. And so we just want to fix it all at one time, because that's our nature as a parent. And 99.9% of what we're doing for our kids with ADHD is a process, and it is a long process. And sometimes it's a redundant, tedious process. But, you know, you have to know where you need to go, you know, that you need to focus on what they're good at and not stress so much about what they're not good at. And, and start working toward it. But it's not going to be a switch that you can turn on suddenly. You're not going to go from thinking your kid has to do good in school so that they can do good in yep. college, so they can do good in life. And now you've listened to this podcast and you're going to go, oh, yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. I'm just going to, you know, it's, you know, it's a mental process. I want to yep. be sure that parents understand that is it takes time to get there. And don't yep. beat yourself up today or tomorrow because you're not there yet. You'll get Absolutely. there. It's knowing Absolutely. that you need to be there that's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, awesome. There is one other thing that I, I, I would like to kind of point out that is the – it's becoming a bigger issue every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it is very much a challenge. And I don't want to sugarcoat this. Um, 
But I, I, you know, sometimes I like to just say what it is because it is what it is. I think the single hardest part about parenting these days, uh, particularly ADHD kids, is the psychologists and the marketers Mm -hmm. and the news media have cracked the code on our primitive brains. They know how to control us. And I say that because I did a great series of interviews with Clifford Sussman last summer on ADHD and screen addiction. And the first Mm -hmm. show was we were talking about the biology of dopamine. The second one, we were talking about the game Candy Crush. And the third show, we talked about treatment. And it was fascinating to me because when we were talking about the game Candy Crush, we were going through all the things about that game that – that make it addictive. Number one, it's a very easy game to learn, very difficult to be good at. Right. There's these immediate rewards with these candies that you get. You hit these things and it's like a, a, a jackpot. Sometimes you hit something and you hit the lottery, you get all kinds of candies and sometimes you don't. There's an element of competitiveness in there. It's not one-on-one, but you can post the scores and you can see how you're doing. It's a game that you play over a long period of time to do the points and you can have some friends. And it's funny because he broke the game down and we went through it. We talked about how all these things that are built into the game are designed for little dopamine rushes that mm-hmm. happen over a really long period of time. And those with ADHD are more susceptible to it. And I'm saying this because more and more society, you can't function without the digital stuff in front of you. Right. And as a parent, the biggest, the biggest thing I can tell you well, the biggest advice I can, and this is hard to do, is get out with your kids, do stuff with your kids, do everything you can to try to keep them away from scenes. I, I don't think you can take them away entirely. Uh, it's too much ingrained in society, but it's just a fight that you're going to have to kind of deal with, particularly when kids are, are texting, because to get a like or a poke or a, uh, a share of something on that stuff is, for our kids with ADHD, it's a little bit of booyah. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of vigilance and very difficult. It's also really easy as a parent. I've coached umpteen mothers who, you know, on a snow day, it's really easy to give the kid the iPad to go get some work done. It's yep. very stressful for the parent because it pacifies them. If you don't give it to them, you've got to be the one on the carpet that's kind of entertaining them. And that's, that's where the hard part is. And mm-hmm. again, more you can do to design the environment to minimize that, I think it makes it a lot easier because, again, uh, Donald Trump uses – whether you like him or not, he, likes, he uses a lot of things in his tweets to elicit emotion. Uh, the media does the same thing. And all these games and all this social media is designed to get you to do stuff that you shouldn't really be doing. And it's, Yeah, they it's use the, a lot of psychology and marketing now. A lot. A lot. They're a lot. controlling us. <laughs> by, that, what you, that's my point is they're controlling us more than we know. Mm-hmm, exactly. And they've, they've cracked the code and it's, it's systematized. And as a parent, I think it's easier if you just acknowledge that up front and know that it's just a long it's – it's a marathon that you're going to have to run. Don't think that it's – I mean there's a lot of kids that are turning out well. But have some faith in the process but just know it's not going to go away and be as vigilant as you can. Yeah, and the, and there are good aspects to technology. You know, it's not all bad. It's a matter, I think, of controlling what 
your child is doing and how much time they're spending in it. And, you know, I just had an interview with um, Dr. Coleman a couple of weeks ago about um, the technology that's beneficial that teaches skills or that um, is more like brain training and improves working memory and focus. So, so, so if yeah, I may on this, I actually, mm-hmm. I, there's something I know that the most of the public doesn't know is, is when you take a look at uh, brain training and Cognet and luminosity, there's lots of stuff out there that doesn't brain, but there's actually a, uh, a, a, a game that's being filed with the FDA to be an ADHD intervention. It's like the first of right. its kind. We're actually using a, it's not a device like, uh, glasses or crutches, but they're actually experimenting. So there's the good side of this that they're, and these people are spending a lot of money to go through, and if it's approved, it would be be like you get money from your insurance company to do that. So yeah. there's the the tough side, but th- there are some people out there that are really focusing on how we can use that in a real positive way. So uh, yeah, I'm I think it's teaching our kids, yeah, yep. how to use it yep. appropriately. So. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, my son for one uses it as assistive technology. I mean, his whole day at school, just about he's on his iPad because he has dysgraphia. And so he uses that and he doesn't lose his papers and have to do them 20 times. And, yep. you know, so there, there's some good aspects and some bad aspects. And it's a matter, I think, you know, we're, we're the guide for our kids. We're there to guide yep. them. We have to do that appropriately. And sometimes it's really hard because it is prevalent yep. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else so, you wanted to talk about as far as motivation? Yep. Well, there's, there's, there's just – I pay attention to, to helping people move forward, and I like to frame this out that at the end of the day, what we really want our kids to do is shift what they're paying attention to, to look at things a certain way. And I've learned right. over the years there's four ways a person actually changes what they focus on, their programming, whatever it is. One of them is you tell them, you need to go do this. And – Young children who really trust parents or whatever, that's mm-hmm. easy. You just tell them what to do and they do it. Uh, Penny, you might interview somebody that you really, really, really respect and they'll say, this is the thing that you do. Because you have a lot of respect for them and they're safe, a lot of times you'll let it go and you'll do what they're telling you to do. Mm-hmm. As you get older, by the way, trust and the ability to have somebody direct your attention begins to wane. Yeah. Another way – that you shift attention is by accident. Unexpectedly, you stumble into something, and, and we've all had this type of experience where, you know, just a freak of nature, circumstances kind of come together, and all of a sudden it clicks and you make some sense. And a lot of parents are really kind of hoping sometimes that that just happens with a kid. Like, I want them to get it. And, you know, you try to form the train wreck so that happens, but, it, you know, it's. Sometimes it's just sometimes it's just by accident. It's just a, a unique combinations kind of come together, but you really kind of can't impact that. Right. The the third way is more coaching. Is what I do, and that is when people come to me, particularly adults, I never tell them the solution. I just create the environment and ask questions for them to discover it. So, like a woman came to me, actually a psychiatrist one time was I was coaching her on on. Um, time management system. And I just asked her questions. And by the time we got done, we began to realize that she's always 10 minutes late because she hates to be bored. Uh, she doesn't, she doesn't like ten, to wait. Exactly. She doesn't have a, a time management problem. So I wasn't trying to solve her problem. I was just trying to help her discover what was really there. And out of nowhere that happened. I've also coached people before where they discovered timelines work for them better than calendars. I had no idea 
where, where we were going to go when, when it started, but my job is just to ask questions for them to relax and open their mind and maybe they'll discover it. You can't, that won't work if the person's not open to looking at things differently. Right. Facilitating. The other, yeah. The other one that I'm sharing that's not well known or done that is one of um, observation. And that might be, uh, hey, young Johnny, you know, it's kind of funny. You did, you did better on that test. And I noticed that you were studying with Jimmy the other day. That was interesting. When you study with Jimmy, just, I don't know, you just, you just did better. And then a week later, you know, you studied with Jimmy again and your grade got better. Right. You're making those observations of success. Now, you're not telling them you should go study with Johnny. You're just saying, isn't it kind of curious to me? I just noticed that you get a better grade every time you're studying with Johnny. And you yeah. do that over a period of time, and the kids actually will listen to you over a period of time. Or the even I've noticed that I have a hard time washing the car unless I'm doing it with somebody else. I notice I have a hard time doing boring things unless I do it. So you're not telling them what to do. You're sharing your experience and mm -hmm. you're sharing the success of your experience. And this is a tactic that I don't think a lot of parents and a lot of people really publicize. And it's not for everybody, but I find it somewhat effective because you're not, you're not telling them what to do. You're not forcing them. You're just sharing your experience or you're sharing your observation. It's not directed to them. It's mm -hmm. just, oh, I just saw this. And the repetition over a long period of time, in some instances, they go, wow, I noticed that I always do better with Johnny. I think I'll stay with Johnny today. And yeah. that's just another track that if you're a parent, um, might play around with a little bit. It doesn't work for all kids, but for some, it can be really powerful. Yeah, we talk about being a student of your child or being a detective as, as a yep. parent and really being very observant of what's happening and correlating it with behavior to then yep. affect behavior, you know, to be helpful or to stop um, unwanted or inappropriate behavior sometimes. So it, it works for everything. I mean, it's, it's a really good Absolutely. parenting approach and strategy for sure. Those are great. Um, anything else on your, uh, I know you have a lot to I, talk I, about. <laughs> nothing, nothing other than, um, as a parent, be patient and go back and listen to that clip that, that Penny was on such a great rant. It was, it was spectacular. Just kind of clip it and listen to it a bunch of times over. They can learn more from that two minutes than they can That's from this so whole conversation because what you said was absolutely brilliant. So, uh, Thank you. and it relates to the patience thing because that's, it's a journey that everybody goes on. And if you, if you realize that's what it is and don't fight it, you'll get there a lot quicker. Yeah, patience and compassion goes a long, long way when you're a parent, um, especially of a challenging child, for sure. Yep. So Absolutely. our listeners can find you at digcoaching.com, attentiontalkradio.com, attentiontalkvideo.com, and attentiontalknews.com. I will gather your social media links as well, and it will all be in the show notes. This will be episode 027. So listeners can go to Parenting ADHD and autism.com slash 027 and you will access all of the show notes everything that we've talked about today will be linked up there and hopefully you guys will reach out to Jeff because he has a wealth of knowledge I always enjoy talking to you I always learn something and you're just full of wonderful strategies for parents and for adults and, and, and what you're doing, Penny, by getting this out there for your tribe is really good. And, I, and everybody, I, I can't, 
I can't say enough about Penny. She's spectacular what she does. So mm-hmm. she's got a lot of great resources and um, and does a lot outside just the ADHD realm. So um, and, a, and a lot of kids have other things that are associated with. So you're a great resource as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. With that, we will end this episode and I'll see you next time on the Parenting ADHD podcast. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.